Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio I know we had some words last time But that was so long ago I got your message It was a little harsh, you know It's still a little hard for me to hear Please take it slow Welcome to Starship Sofa Part of the District of Wonders network Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders Come and find yours this is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome, hello, and welcome to show 714. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. We are having some cracking weather for a first. Yes, I mean, it's been dry here for weeks, but... No sun, just cloudy, coldish, but we've got some lovely sunshine there, so I hope everyone is feeling just a little bit brighter today. I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. We have the main fiction, which is Lockheed and Nocturnes by William Meekle. I've probably got that title totally wrong. And we have our very own Amy H. Sturgis, looking back at genre history. So that's all coming to today's show. I do hope you'll stick around and enjoy it. So like I say, main fiction is by William Meekle. I'll give you a little heads up. William is a Scottish writer now living in Canada with over 30 novels published in the genre press and more than 300 short story credits in 13 countries. He has books available from a variety of publishers including Dark Regions Press, Severed Press and his work has appeared in a large number of professional anthologies and magazines. He lives in Newfoundland with Wales Bald Eagles and Icebergs for company. When he's not writing he drinks Beer plays guitar and dreams of fortune and glory. This story actually originally appeared in Transmissions from Punktown, 2018. Now, this story is narrated by Josh Roseman. Yeah, God, we had Josh on. Yes, Josh, man. Eh? Are you great? Are you got great hair now, sir? Wow, Josh, it's lovely to have you back on there, lad. Man, and it's actually the same. I'm sure it's the same bloody. 
little introduction. Josh Roseman, not the trombonist. The other one has narrated several stories for Starship Sofa. <laughs> Never changed it. And the District of Wonders over the past 15 years. In addition, he is the author with more than three dozen books and short stories published, some under pseudonyms. He lives in Georgia, the state, not the country, and absolutely loves to pet dogs, especially pit bulls. Find him online at roseplusman.com or on Twitter, listener42. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present Lacunae and Nocturnes by William Meikle. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a man arriving in Punktown with a guitar in his hand is either looking for a gig or looking to get laid. I didn't mind which, as long as it was one or the other. I had some holes that needed filling. Degenerative spongiform encephalitis. That's what the Earthside docs called it. Bad meat and a death sentence is what it was. Six months tops, but I'd be a vegetable in a tank before then, unless something could be done. That something wasn't going to be done at home. They washed their hands of me. But I got a whisper, a modicum of hope, that anything could be had in punk town if you wanted it bad enough. And I wanted those holes filled real bad. So I handed over all my credits, jumped a ride, and now here I was. New town, same old songs, and a need I didn't know how to fix. Just another one among many of my ilk on Forma Street. But I had one thing they didn't have. I had an old Gibson custom six-string, late 20th century vintage, and I had a head full of classics. Dylan, Beatles, Springsteen, Seeger, et al. You know, the old folk stuff. And I had enough experience back in Frisco that I knew what a crowd wanted and how to give it to them. So I found a corner, sometimes even a spot in a bar, and I sang the old songs. And mostly I got paid well enough that I never wanted for beer or fried dilkies. When I slept, it was in the roof space of an abandoned factory over in Forge Park, far enough away from the art crowd that I wouldn't be thought part of their scene. It was a life, after a kind but I still had my holes, and they still weren't getting filled, either way. I felt the lacunae as they drifted through my memories. Gaps appeared, then disappeared just as quickly. Months of my life at a time became gray and dreamlike, then snapped back into focus whether I wanted them to or not, and I didn't really care. It wasn't that unpleasant. Like having too many tokes, but without feeling sick to my gut afterwards. I only started to bother about it when the songs began to go, too. She noticed it before I did, my choom beauty. I'd seen her around. She sang in front of the Devane Shrimp, probably the best of the local acts, and in her they had a virtuoso performer. She specialized in jazz, mainly reinterpretations of Choom religious dirges, but she also did a mean Dylan impression. She liked to hear the songs. I knew a few she didn't. So that night, when it all changed, she was standing at the back of the crowd. I knew she was there. I'd seen the dolphin smile, spotted the black mop-top hairdo, but I paid her little attention. I was breezing through all along the watchtower. Then the lacunae drifted through. I didn't spot them. The crowd mostly didn't spot them, but my choom beauty did. You missed a verse, she said later as I was packing away the Gibson. I did not. You did too, she replied and smiled, then sang the bit I'd temporarily forgotten, her nasal drawl perfect in every way. I smiled back, not as widely, and then she took me to bed where we filled in each other's holes for a while. We talked, in between the spelunking, about choom, about life, about cabbage and kings, and finally about degenerative spongiform encephalitis. You could get a chip, she said. Yeah, I replied, and I could be mayor of Punktown. What are the chances of either for a panhandler on Forma Street? Her grin widened, a new hole that I eagerly filled for her, and it was a while after that, again, before we got back on topic. 
I can't get you a chip, she said later, as we lay smoking and watching a hollow of waves on a shore wash across her loft roof. But I might know something that'll help. I've never heard of an earther trying it. It's a chum thing, a private thing. But I can have a word in the right ear, if you'd like. I told her I'd like a lot, and we filled in some more holes. It was only after I left her to go back to my quarter and start a new day that I realized I hadn't gotten her name, or if I had, I'd forgotten it. Then it was back to the songs, glory days, and ticket to ride, blowing in the wind, and then the lacune drifted in again, and it was dark, and I was sitting in the rain, letting the Gibson get wet, just holding her tight and listening to the drips echoing in her hole and in my head. I looked up, and my chum beauty was standing over me, tight-lipped, no smile, no holes. But she helped me dry the Gibson and get it in its case before too much damage was done. You forgot again, she said. It wasn't a question, and it didn't need an answer. If you really know something that could help, I'd appreciate it, I replied. She took me by the hand and led me, like a recalcitrant child, through the market stalls and down Goiter Lane. I thought for a moment she was going to head into the Café Prague, for I knew some of the jazz crowd hung out there between gigs. But we went past the shimmering delights and plunged into a warren of alleys and byways in the well of tall apartment blocks that blocked what little light was coming down from above. We went left, right, down a few holes too, if I remember rightly. Then finally she let go of my hand. Don't tell him I was here. In fact, don't mention me at all. And don't let him give you a green one. And with that, she was gone, back into the night, leaving me in front of a heavy metal door. I was about to step up to the vid port at the side when the door slid open to reveal a dimly lit corridor inside. Soft music played, earther stuff, bland and heartless, shopping tunes for the masses. It was almost enough to make me turn on my heel and leave. Almost. But I felt the lacunae shift again, and knew that I was in danger of forgetting why I was here at all if I didn't act immediately. I stepped inside, and the door closed with a creaking clank that spoke of a mechanism long past its best. I knew how it felt. A sign at the end of a narrow corridor caught my eye. Control, it said, flashing in red neon. Every so often the bulb shorted out above the first O, changing it to a U. When I looked back down, a man stood under the sign. I was surprised to see an earther, although one that had taken rather too keenly to native custom, for his mouth had been altered. The widening surgery wasn't quite to chum dimensions, but wide enough that it looked like the top of his head was going to roll off when he smiled at me. A newbie, he said, and rubbed his hands together in mock glee. What can I do for you? I hadn't given any thought as to what I might say, and it all came out of me unbidden and quick. I can't afford a chip and I need extra memory. He waved a finger accusingly at me. Never tell a man what you can and can't afford, lad, he said. It spoils the fun of the negotiations. He stood aside and showed me into a larger room beyond. It was as dimly lit as the corridor, so it took my eyes a second to adjust. If this was a shop, there was only one thing on sale. The walls were lined with them, tall glass jars filled with viscous yellow fluid, inside which some things swam and shifted sluggishly, slug being the operative word, for that is what they resembled most, black, slightly oily slugs with rough skin, no discernible front or rear parts, just smooth crescents gliding through the fluids. What are those things? I asked, and the man laughed. Memories, like the colors of your mind, he sang, as much as you need, or rather, as much as you can afford. No, really, what are they? Sluggies, he said. Bioengineered bioram. Slap one on the back of your neck, let it slide in its feeder, and Bob's your uncle, so to speak. I've never heard of them. Do they work? Of course they bloody work. Chum have been using them for millennia. Very popular they are, too. 
but they worked for Earthers. Suddenly, the man didn't look quite so confident. Oh, yes, better for some than others. What do you do for work, lad? I pointed at the guitar case in my right hand. I'm a musician, I replied, and suddenly, as if that cleared an obstacle, he was all brightness and bonhomie again. I've got just the thing, he said, and took me over to the nearest wall. The sluggy in the jar he pointed to was green instead of black, and seemed much more turgid, less animated than the others. Two terabytes, forty credits, he said, but I was already backing away. Not a green one, I replied, and he slapped his forehead. You never told me you knew. You never asked. How much for a black one? For a musician? How much have you got? He folded his arms, stood back, and smiled. We both knew I wasn't holding any negotiating chips. I handed over my card. He swiped it and sucked at his teeth when he saw the figure. Can't do your top end for that, lad, he said. And if you don't want green, no green, he nodded. And I've got a used model, only one owner that I know of. What does that mean, used? It means that it's already been sat on somebody else. It's not fresh, might not even be empty, although we do our best to purge them. I didn't really understand what was being said. Then again, I figured I didn't need to. I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. I nodded toward my card. Take it all and give me what that buys me. No returns, the man said. This is a one-time take-it-and-be-gone deal. You understand that? I nodded again as he looked toward the jars. Musician, you said. Yes. That this one's yours. He moved three feet to his left and pointed at a tall jar. The fluid inside looked slightly murkier than the others, and the sluggy, although not as slow as the green one I'd looked at, seemed listless and looked somehow older than the rest. Beggars can't be choosers, the owner said, although maybe if you threw in the guitar. I didn't even consider it. The Gibson was all I had left, and I'd need it to move on if this worked. I looked back at the tall jar. Okay, it's mine. What now? He lifted the jar down, put it on the floor, twisted open the top, and drew out the sluggy. It lay in his hands like a big lump of quivering jelly. Turn around, he said. Are there any side effects I should know of? A 24-hour headache, maybe, he said, but after that it's just like thinking inside a bigger box. You'll see. Then it was time. I turned my back on him and felt something moist and slimy at my neck, and then a warm needle went in just at the top of my spine. There was no pain, just a heavy sensation across my shoulders. Apart from that, I hardly even noticed it was there. That's it, I said. He smiled and shook my hand. That's it. Should be good for five years, maybe more. Enjoy. And with that, he almost marched me out of the room, down the corridor, and back out into the alley where the door clanked shut as he closed it behind him. The headache hit me ten seconds later. The next twenty-four hours weren't pleasant. I made it back to my flop room, God knows how, and lay there while the inside of my head split, reorganized itself, split again, fell apart into a pool of slime, then hardened into a soft jelly. I screamed and cried and threw up dilkies and diced carrots. I didn't sleep, but I dreamed, envisioned, hallucinated, vast vistas of stars and nebulae, strange canted tracks and byways that ran through ever-shifting scenes of canyons and rivers, seascapes and cliffs, ruined cities and castles so huge it took eons to cross them all. Music played, orchestras and choirs and masked drummers and shrieking synths and manic percussive clacking and wailing guitar all together in a cacophony of chords, a wall of sound that rang through all the places inside me, filling every hole. It was dark again before I came out of it. I hadn't eaten or drank, and I felt like a dried-out husk, but my head was now staying on, and I was thinking rationally. More than that, I didn't seem to have any gray areas. There was no sense of drift, no lacunae. But I was tired, thirsty, 
and hungry and had no credits to do anything about it. I took up the guitar and went out into the night to earn my supper. They had rain on, a bit of local color that was expected of the weather team every so often. It gave the streets a wash and stopped the stink from getting too overwhelming. It also meant that my usual corner hadn't been taken. The Gibson rang in anticipation as I took it from the case, and I realized I was nervous. Nervous and excited to see what, if anything, had changed. The man in the store had been right about one thing. It felt roomier inside my head, as if I had more space to roam around in. I reached inside, I didn't spot any holes, pulled out an old favorite, and started to play. The lyrics seemed to dance in my mind like a hollow projection, clear as day, all there, all perfect, so that all I had to do was read, and my hands moved through the changes as if the muscle memory alone was enough. The times they are a change in rang all along Forma Street. I was enjoying myself too much to take much notice, but three songs in I saw that I was drawing quite a crowd. My chum beauty stood at the back, her smile widened further by her thick application of bright red lipstick. I smiled back, and she waved at me as I chugged into Hey Jude, and that's when the times really did change. Something rose up from one of the new roomy spaces inside. I felt it coming like a thundering flood in the distance, sending a vibration all the way through every part of me. I still sang the old Beatles song, but my hands played something else. It fit all right. There was a backbeat. You can't lose it. But it wasn't Earther. I wasn't even sure it was music in any sense that I understood it. But I couldn't stop. Didn't want to stop. I was transported into the song, lost and away with it. Out in the crowd, I saw a large coleopteroid waddle its way forward, pushing people aside. It was drumming its forelegs against its carapace in time with the beat, and it seemed as lost, transported, as I felt. More so, in fact. I don't know how I knew it, but I sensed it, in one of the new spaces. Ecstasy, and something I hadn't had since meeting the docks down the line. Hope. By the time I got to the long chorus at the end, the whole crowd around me was clapping and singing along, I sang face-to-face -face with a big beetle that showed every sign of being in the throes of something religious, or sexual, I wasn't sure I wanted to know which. Na, 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 na. It felt like the top of my head was going to lift clear off. A new thing shifted inside me, and overlaid on the side of the crowd, I saw something gain heft and weight. A whirling vortex hung some three feet in front of me, at about the same size wide, getting wider. Black, spiraling away into some impossible infinity, tugging at me, threatening to drag me down to a place where there was only the rhythm, only the song. Na 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 na! It was taking me, and part of me, a new part, would gladly have gone with it, but the crowd was clapping, and there were no lacunae, and I'd had what I wanted for a long time. I wasn't ready to give that up, so I tugged back, hard, as I brought the song to an end that echoed, not just through the crowd, but in every corner of every alley and pathway the length and breadth of Punktown. The whirling vortex if it had ever been there at all, fell apart in swirling shadow and was lost. The crowd stamped and cheered. My chum beauty gave me a smile that promised more holes to be filled in my near future, and I just had time to raise a hand to acknowledge the applause before the coleopteroid leapt at me. I had to drop the Gibson. It was either that or use it as a weapon, and I managed to get both hands in front of my face to protect my eyes, but it wasn't me the thing was after. Before I really knew what was happening, it had knocked me to the ground, and I had too many limbs to contend with to stop it rolling me over onto my front. I heard sucking. There was no pain, but there was definite sense of something being taken away. The new space inside me was receding, getting smaller. The coleopteroid was draining the life, sucking the song out of the sluggy. And, just as quickly as the attack had come, rage took me. 
I knew only too well what would be lost if I just lay there, so I got up, the beetle thing clinging to my back as if it was riding me, and threw myself backward hard against the nearest wall. There was a definite crack that echoed loud around the suddenly silent crowd. Then the weight was gone, and the beetle, down on all its limbs and scuttling with a definite list to one side, scrambled away as the watching crowd danced aside. I felt at my neck. The sluggy was still there, although it felt less plump, less solid, a fact that was already changing as it sucked at me, taking what it needed to replenish itself. I suddenly remembered I hadn't eaten or drank for more than 24 hours and felt my legs go weak under me. My chum beauty took care of me for the next few hours. She made sure the Gibson was safe and unharmed, then collected credits on my behalf from the crowd, and she half carried me to the nearest Dilke stall, Tex-Mex chili flavor with plenty of beer. I wolfed down three portions and had four beers in quick succession, using up most of the credits I'd just made in the process, but I slowly came back to something like the person I'd been before the song had taken me elsewhere. My chum girl watched all this with some amusement, but if she wanted any holes filled, she was going to have to wait a while longer. I was still tired and ready to sleep for a week. We went back to her place. The rain didn't get in through the roof there, and I ate some more dilkies, garlic and fresh onion washed down with wine, more cultured than street food. But right then it was all just fuel for me and my sluggy. There was no hole filling. We talked. She wanted to know what I felt, how the sluggy felt. I told her, not about the vomiting, but about the sense of space, the lack of lacunae, the feeling of hope. She smiled. She smiled a lot. But it went away fast when I mentioned the spinning black vortex. A too, she whispered, as if the very mention of the name itself was something to fear. Then she went quiet, but I couldn't leave it at that. We drank more wine, had a few smokes, I taught her masters of war, thankfully without any coleopteroid beats rearing up, and finally she relented. She told me of the Callian demon, of the soul sucker of infinity, and of the fabled temples where many races, coleopteroids among them, danced and cavorted and offered themselves in supplication. But why would I be singing about that? I don't know any of that shit. But your second-hand sluggy does, she said softly. If it came from one of the temple supplicants, or even from a priest himself, and it wasn't purged, it might know all of that. And more. And that's why the beetle attacked me. It wanted the temple memories. Maybe. Maybe not. Who knows what goes on inside an insect's head. But do me a favor, she said. Don't play Hey Jude again. I made her a promise, and much to my surprise, we got around to some very pleasant hole-filling before dark sleep finally came and took me away. My life improved considerably in the immediate aftermath of accepting my sluggy. My head was full of song, with room to expand and play. There was no sense of drift, no graying, and as long as I didn't play Hey Jude, the sluggy didn't interfere with my gigs on the corner. Every so often, a coleopteroid would turn up in the crowd, but I never got attacked again, although I did see them feed on each other. I assumed they were doing some hole filling of their own and left them to it. I remembered more songs from the old days, songs I thought to be long forgotten. The crowd always liked This Land Is Your Land and Oh Mary Don't You Weep, and both became regulars on a growing set list. I started to draw ever bigger crowds until one night, my chum lady, I was spending more and more time with her, each of us getting holes filled, suggested that I open for the D-Vane Shrimp at the Cafe Prague that weekend. I practiced hard all that week. It wasn't any kind of effort at all, and the sluggy made sure that the words were always there. I put a small set list together of half a dozen songs that always did well. The times they are changing to open, and I planned to close with Punktown Dreaming, which was a revised old classic that I myself was very fond of. I played the set through, the second time with my chum lady accompanying me, 
And that went so well that she agreed to come on and sing one of the songs with me in the middle of my set. Hearing her jazz riffs on Space Oddity almost woke the sluggy up. I felt it stir and shift at my neck, and the spaces inside me widened considerably as we contemplated dark, starry vistas and emptiness. Then, all too quickly, there was no more time for rehearsal, no more time for languid hole-filling. The night of the gig rushed toward me fast, and then I was there, sitting in the green-tinged bar with a sea of silent faces looking expectantly at me, expecting to be entertained. I was determined not to disappoint them. I launched straight into the Dylan, and by the time I got to the first chorus, a large part of them sang along, and I knew everything was going to be fine. I did yesterday, a chum in the front row cried. Then a foot stomping, oh Mary, don't you weep, before inviting my lady on for a space oddity that went to some strange ethereal places and had my sluggy stirring again. It was while my lady was soaring through one of her operatic passes that I saw the coleopteroids, a rank of them at the back of the bar. Once again, they seemed to be feeding on each other, minding their own business, and I had enough to be doing without paying them any attention. My lady brought the song to a high, wafting climax that left everybody quietly stunned. I gave them two empty beats, then pounded into long, tall Sally, having me some fun, and that was when things started to go tits up. I didn't notice at first. I thought the beats accompanying me were people in the crowd stamping their feet or slapping the tables. I was away and gone with the groove in any case, too far gone to note, too late, that most of the percussion was coming from the rank of coleopteroids at the back. All twenty or so of them slapped on their carapaces with some force, the sound like a dampened snare drum. A lot of dampened snare drums. My sluggy shifted, with some degree of force, as I brought the song to a crashing halt, and the crowd roared their approval once more. I made the chord ready to head into Punktown Dreaming, but the Beatles gathered at the back, pounded out a different beat entirely, and my sluggy responded, surging up and through the empty places and filling me up with a song I knew I shouldn't play, but couldn't prevent myself from doing so. I started into Hey Jude. Like the first time, my hands and my voice seemed at odds rhythmically, but in total tune thematically as we built through the first verse. The coleopteroids made their way forward through the crowd, none of whom paid them much attention as a mass singing was starting up, all of us tied and bonded into the song. We hit the first chorus as one voice, me, my sluggy, and my crowd. Na, 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 na. A vortex spun into being at the front of the stage. Three, four, six feet across and growing, blackening, sucking, the coleopteroids beat at themselves in frenzy as we all went together into verse two. I felt the spinning spiral of blackness try to pull me forward. I resisted as best I could, but the sluggy had other ideas. My hands beat faster and faster on the strings, and we hit another chorus. Na 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 na. Some of the club's table started to drift forward, slowly at first, and then faster as the spiral sucked them in. Blackness in its center turned to red as a chum was lifted off her feet and taken, head first in a swan dive, into its heart. That was the signal for chaos to take rain, but even then the sluggy wanted to play, wanted to sing. I had no choice but to go along, even as the vortex sucked up chairs, tables, earthers and choom, dilkies and absinthe, everything danced as one down into the heart of Ugiutu. The row of coleopteroids lined the front of the stage, between where I sat and the maw of the sucking god. We were coming to the big climax now, the last chorus, where I knew, just knew, that we'd all go together into the hole. Na, 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 na. The coleopteroids beat their shells and rubbed their mandibles together, humming along, and the sluggy responded. Suddenly I knew why they'd been feeding on each other, 
They'd been taking my song into themselves, sharing whatever the sluggy had taken from me and passed to the one that attacked me. We really were all singing together. And just like that, and surely no coincidence, my holes returned. A lacuna drifted through my mind, covering my memory of the next chord. I faltered, and so did the sluggy and the beetles. The gray hole drifted and spawned another, then another, and I sent them off into the wild blue yonder spaces where the sluggy sang in my head, sharing the drift around. The chorus came to a shuddering halt. There was hardly anyone singing in the club, and the coleopteroids' drumming had lost its cohesion. We were no longer all singing off the same song sheet. The drift was spreading fast. More lacunae danced through my head. I went gray, came back, and wondered what I was doing, sitting up there on a stage. Wondered what this big black swirling thing was in front of me, even as it fell apart into drifting, sparkling motes of shadow and dust. The sluggy showed me vistas of stars and nebulae again, tracks and trails through byways unknown to mankind, and we fell into it, my sluggy and me, lost in the dark, each of us lost in our holes. I came out of it in my choom lady's arms, lying in the ruin of the club. I guess they won't be asking you back in a hurry, she said, and smiled at me in such a way that I felt a whole lot better about things immediately. A score of confused coleopteroids scuttled, one of them listing badly, here and there across the floor, and in and between scattered tables and chairs. One of them came over to me and nuzzled at the Gibson, expectantly, hopefully, but I was done. My sluggy was done. Our holes were too extensive, too gray, and we have no more songs in us. My choom lady sings for me now. She sings for us all, and that is enough for me. We fill each other's holes where we can. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And there you go. There you go. William. Oh, William, William. Thank you very much indeed, lad. Brilliant story. And Josh. Lovely to get you back on the mic again. Man, come on, more of them, lad. Rattle them off. Thank you, Josh. It's just honestly, it's a pleasure to have you back on board, sir. So, 
It is. It's our very own Amy H. Sturgis. We're looking back at genre history. Ames! Hello, my friends. It's time for another look back into genre history. Recently, and by recently I mean March 15th, 2023, I attended a remarkable online event called Back to the Future is Female, hosted by the Library of America. Now, I have talked in several of my Starship Sofa segments about Library of America and how its volumes have increasingly shown representation for genre works, and in particular how The Future is Female, Volume 1 and Volume 2, both edited by Lisa Yazig, in particular have showcased classic science fiction stories by women. Here is the official description of the Back to the Future is Female event hosted by Library of America. Quote, from pulp-era pioneers to the radical innovators of the 1960s and 70s, visionary women writers have been a transformative force in American science fiction. For Women's History Month, acclaimed science fiction authors Chelsea Quinn Yarborough, Pamela Sargent, and Cherie Renee Thomas join Lisa Yazig, editor of Library of America's The Future is Female, for a conversation about the writers who smashed the genre's gender barrier to create worlds and works that remain revolutionary. End quote. Well, now I am happy to report the recording of this live event is now on YouTube, and I highly recommend that you check it out. There were a lot of things said in this event that I really appreciated, and yes, I took notes. <laughs> Just to paraphrase a bit, I appreciated the points, the flip sides of the coin here, that A, people who grew up with classic science fiction don't need to be stuck there, saying they don't get what's happening now, that they are in fact missing out if they are not also reading new work, cutting-edge work, the exciting, innovative work that's happening today. And as someone who loves and studies older science fiction, I wholly agree with that, that it's really important to balance that with what's happening now. But on the other side of that, it is also very important for people today to keep in mind and go back and touch base with classic science fiction. Of course, I agree with that strongly. And one of the things discussed is what we gain from going back to classic works. And I appreciated the point that it's very instructive to see how people pinpointed the issues and anxieties and concerns and problems and opportunities of their times to imagine things differently. As the panelists, the distinguished guests pointed out, it's instructive to see when and where authors could imagine themselves beyond their times, when they could do that successfully and when they couldn't, that too is very useful to see. Or to put it another way, when they got it right, when they got it wrong, and what that tells us. Not just, or even primarily, about technological issues, but about social roles, about political concerns, about norms and mores and values. 
I also appreciated hearing the names that came up beyond the panelists themselves of authors who really were ahead of their time and imagining futures that speak to us today. And I made a note of some of the names that came up because I was nodding like a bobblehead doll uh, in agreement with some of these names and how important they remain. Vonda McIntyre, Octavia Butler, Joanna Russ, C.L. Moore, Theodore Sturgeon, Samuel R. Delaney, Philip K. Dick, for example. Most importantly, I was struck by how Pamela Sargent described the importance of science fiction as, quote, a kind of literature that tells you things do not have to be the way they are, end quote. This is, of course, important for young readers to know, but also important for all of us to know that we're not stuck in the status quo and that whatever norms or mores or rules seem to be imposed, they're not the way it has to be. This is both a comfort, if you look around and say, I am dissatisfied with the way things are, and with the lack of imagination employed to solve problems. But it is also a challenge for readers and fans to answer the call of change. I often articulate my interest in history and science fiction as two parts of the same equation, looking at what it means to be human. But I really think Pamela Sargent has her finger on it here, because both history and science fiction provide illustrations that show things do not have to be the way they are right now. And all of this has reminded me, again, of why I find Pamela Sargent's work so powerful, so for a moment, I'd like to pivot and just talk about Pamela Sargent, if I may. First, let me give you part of her official biography from her website. Quote, Pamela Sargent has won the Nebula and Locus Awards, been a finalist for the Hugo Award, Theodore Sturgeon Award, and Sidewise Award, and was honored in 2012 with the SFRA Award for Lifetime Contributions to Science Fiction and Fantasy Scholarship, previously the Pilgrim Award, by the Science Fiction Research Association. She is the author of the science fiction novels Cloned Lives, The Sudden Star, Watch Star, The Golden Space, The Alien Upstairs, Eye of the Comet, Holmes Mind, Alien Child, The Shore of Women, Venus of Dreams, Venus of Shadows, and Child of Venus, as well as the alternative history Climb the Wind. Ruler of the Sky, her 1993 historical novel about Genghis Khan, was a bestseller in Germany and Spain. She also edited, and this is really important, the Women of Wonder anthologies, the first collections of science fiction by women, published in the 1970s by Vintage Random House and in updated editions during the 1990s by Harcourt Brace. Her other anthologies are Afterlives, edited with Ian Watson, Biofutures, and Conqueror Fantastic. Tor Books reissued her 1983 young adult novel, Earthseed, selected as a best book for young adults by the American Library Association, and a sequel, Farseed, in early 2007. Farseed was chosen by the New York Public Library for their 2008 Books for the Teenage list of best books for young adults. 
A third novel, Seed Seeker, was published in 2010. Earthseed is in development by Paramount Pictures with Melissa Rosenberg, scriptwriter for all five Twilight films, set to write and produce through her Tall Girls Productions. Her most recent novel is Season of the Cats, published in 2015 by Wildside Press. Michael Moorcock has said about her writing, quote, If you have not read Pamela Sargent, then you should make it your business to do so at once. She is in many ways a pioneer, both as a novelist and as a short story writer. She is one of the best, end quote. Pamela Sargent lives in Albany, New York, end quote. And I did a bit of editing there because there are a lot more <laughs> um, impressive accomplishments on that biography. So, yes, very impressive. Two points I want to emphasize here. First, I'd like to give a shout out to her 1986 novel, The Shore of Women, which I have used in a class where I taught science fiction and gender. And I'll give you here a quick note from the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction about that novel. Quote, The Shore of Women, 1986, reversing another cliché, features a post-Holocaust dystopia in which women dominate high-tech urban keeps while men live in the hard-scrabble wilderness beyond. Sargent's presentation of this is ambiguously feminist. Women's dominance of science and technology has a punitive ring, and the world depicted seems less than stable, end quote. There's a lot of nuance there, and Sargent balances vivid world-building and detail with adventure and emotionally accessible characters and a kind of epic scope for the story. And she certainly resists easy stereotypes. As the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction said, this reverses cliches. So, inverting and upsetting expectations, especially for the time. I also want to emphasize the importance of the Women of Wonder series, which she edited Women of Wonder in 1975, More Women of Wonder in 1976, The New Women of Wonder in 1978, and then Women of Wonder the Classic Years in 1995, and Women of Wonder the Contemporary Years in that same year. The first two volumes assembled reprints, the third original work, and together these volumes provided indisputable proof that women write science fiction and had been writing science fiction. This was a conversation already underway and an invitation for others to join it. And looking back, they preserve that conversation as a kind of foundation for what is happening now and certainly pave the way for volumes like The Future is Female, 1 and 2, edited by Lisa Yazik. I think More Women of Wonder, the second volume, is the first I came across in a used bookstore, and I grabbed that paperback, and I took that home, and it is right here. I can see it from where I'm sitting and recording right now. It made a big impact on me, to be sure. And so, needless to say, it was quite a thrill to see Pamela Sargent there with Lisa Yazik and other luminaries. Chelsea Quinn Yarborough and Cherie Renee Thomas talking about what linked 
the original project of Women in Wonder to the current Library of America project of The Future is Female, and why knowing where the genre was and keeping tabs on where the genre is and where it's going is important in the larger understanding of ourselves and our society and our possibilities. So I recommend that you check out Back to the Future is Female on YouTube, posted by Library of America, as well as The Future is Female Volume 1 and Volume 2, edited by Lisa Yazik, and the anthology series that inspired it, paved the way for it, the Women of Wonder series, edited by Pamela Sargent. I hope you have enjoyed this segment, and I look forward to joining you again very soon for something completely different when we gather together to take another look back on genre history. Thank you. Amy, Amy, Amy. Big cuddles there. Thank you so much, Amy. Oh, big squeeze. (laughs) I do squeeze there when I say those words. Amy, thank you indeed. So that is, yes, that is Starship Sofa's 714. Put to bed. Thank you very much. If you would like more of this, support me. Honestly, the, the funds are just crashing all the time. Just I'm just letting them go, to be honest. But if, if you can support me, that would be fantastic. It really would. Just come to the front of the website. There's a few options for you. Until next week, just like to say, or the fortnight, just like to say, good night from me. Thank you for listening.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.